We've been in a series called Reset, talking about a fresh start to the new year. Uh, we've been starting off the new year talking about growth and transformation. That's kind of been our, our focus these last few weeks. But really, the, what is the end game? What's the end goal of the transformation? And, and so if you start thinking about that, your growth should lead to action. If we grow and are content to just gather in our Christian circles uh, if, and just never interact with th those that don't know Jesus, it shows that we really haven't understood our mission. And I, I'm just telling you, over time, it's so easy to just get in our Christian bubble, uh, kind of our Christian huddles, our us for and no more mentality, uh, that it's so easy to do that. And if I were to ask you right now, how many Christian friends you have and how many non-Christian friends you have, I think that would kind of reveal to you pretty quick uh, a little bit more about um, really have you kind of slipped into that Christian bubble a little bit. And so I read this from a pastor this week. Um, he said this, he said, real faith uses information for the purpose of transformation. D.L. Moody, the famous pastor, said this, the Bible was not given merely for uh, was not given for merely our information, but for our transformation. That is to say, Scripture, the Bible, was not just to, given to give us facts. It, it's not just given to give you a bulleted list of things to do and to, things to know. Instead, the purpose of the information contained in the Bible is to produce actual, lasting, tangible change in your life. It's to change the condition of your soul and your heart and your spirit so that you live differently than you did before. That's what James meant when he come, when he, in James chapter 2, he said this. He said, in the same way, faith by itself, you see this, right? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So it's not saying that you're saved by your works. It's not saying you're saved by your action, but it's saying if you are saved, there's going to be action with it. A faith that saves is a faith that works. And so I just share that because I think real faith is so much more than just collecting information. I think a lot of us have grown up in church environments that were kind of classroom-based and uh, with Sunday school and church on Sunday morning. And it was all about the transfer of information and not as much about the transformation of our character and our life. And so I want to just challenge us a little bit this morning. What's the goal of learning all of this stuff in the Bible. It's, it's so that we live differently. It's so we're transformed from the, from the inside out. It's so that we take what we've learned and we use it to serve others for the glory of God. And that's really what, uh, what we're going to talk about today. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you different because of what you have learned in the Bible? Uh, have you... Have you uh, changed uh, your character? Has your attitudes changed? Are the fruit of the Spirit displayed in your life now? now I, I want to talk today about finding our true purpose, understanding what God's called us to do, understanding why we serve others. Um, and with that being said, um, in Matthew 20, 28, uh, Jesus kind of made it pretty plain. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Just think about that for a minute with me, all right? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And are you living your life to serve others? Luke's gospel shows, um, shows us this morning. That's where we're going to be, Luke chapter 7. Um, we'll be there in a minute. But we're going to read a story about how compassionate Jesus is for sinners. And how he encountered a woman that was really outcast and just kind of thrown aside in the culture of the day. And so it's interesting how he responded and how the religious leaders responded. Um, Jesus even said this, and I mean, he, he started giving them clues and hints before this, and they didn't really pick them up. But he said, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And so Jesus, he made, he made it very clear that the reason he came was not just for the righteous people, not just for the church people, not just for the people who had it all together. He came to seek and save the lost. He came for those who needed to repent. He came for the sinners. And so in Luke chapter 7, we read the story of Jesus being invited to the home of a Pharisee for dinner. But he really wasn't welcomed as an esteemed guest of the house. Instead, he was left to recline at the table uh, with his feet still dirty, the sweat of the day all over him. He, he, he just, he, they just said, come on in, sit down. And they didn't really treat him with respect. And while he was there, a, a woman of the city, most likely, let's just be honest, it was most likely a prostitute, uh, she was burdened. She was overcome with the condemnation placed on her by society. Uh, she felt abandoned, unloved, unworthy. And she came in and she uh, anointed Jesus and washed his feet with her hair. And now I will mention there are several times this happens in the Bible. So uh, we, we can't confuse which, and, uh, which time and which person. Here in Luke, this is uh, at the house of a Pharisee. We don't know the identity of the woman. It happens again um, at Bethany, uh, where Martha served and Lazarus was a guest, and with Mary Magdalene, and uh, the, the person that was causing the, the objection was Judas. And so there's other places. But this in Luke, uh, we just know it's a story of a Pharisee and an unknown woman. And so I, I want to ask you, this is kind of my first point this morning, and here's the choice that we have to make when we are confronted with sin. When we're confronted with someone who we know that needs Jesus, when we're confronted with someone who is far from God, do we choose contempt or compassion? Now, that's a pretty important question for us as believers, um, and I would just say we live in a time that's characterized by condemnation. If you look politically, both conservative, moderate, liberal politicians, they routinely condemn anybody that is different from them. There's no such thing as tolerance anymore because everyone demands that we agree with their point of view. And so let's kind of pick it up here in Luke chapter 7. And this is the story. It says, one of the Pharisees, in verse 36 asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home, sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, 
she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. So here we see the condemnation. Here we see the cancel culture of the first century. Right? I mean, they're looking at, she's a sinner. You don't need to have anything to do with her. Now, the sad thing is, I think we do this even in the church world today. Uh, and routinely, I mean, and online, you see where good Christian teachers and believers are, all, are just constantly attacked. And it's about secondary issues. It's about something maybe they said, maybe something in their past. And, and, and everybody just gangs on and bullies and condemns them. And we see it all the time. And is that really the right attitude for believers to have? You see, we have a choice. Do we condemn or do we show compassion? Are we going to choose to jump in and choose to judge, to hate, to condemn anyone that is different, those that are lost in sin, those that disagree with us? We can choose contempt or we can choose compassion. When we look at the response from the Pharisee, we see his was, was simply a response of contempt. It's like, I don't want anything to do with this person. She's a sinner. She's, she's nothing, right? But when we see Jesus, we see a completely different response. We see one of compassion. And it's interesting here that the Pharisee didn't even really properly welcome Jesus into the home to start with. So really, when we look at this, the, the woman was not the only sinner present. The Pharisee thought he had nothing wrong, but Jesus is about to show him uh, that the woman chose repentance, which led to her to serve out of compassion, but the host chose contempt, which just led him to criticize. And if you want a, a quick kind of where do you fall on that spectrum of contempt versus compassion, how much do you criticize? How much do you complain how much do you look down on others? How much do you really uh, just constantly complain about the world that we're living in? Do you have compassion for it or do you have contempt for it? And so when I see churches, I see leaders who are consumed by criticism of everything and everyone that is different from them. I see people who are choosing contempt over compassion. It's interesting when Jesus came back to Jerusalem, he looked over it. And, and this passage has always stuck with me. It's in Luke chapter 19. It says, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. When Jesus saw the brokenness, when he saw the lost opportunity, when he saw that they had rejected him, he didn't look at the city with contempt and anger. He looked at it with compassion and he wept. And we see this, that Jesus actually in Scripture, he, he, he wept over Jerusalem multiple times. Why? Because he had compassion for them. Do we have that kind of compassion for those that don't know Jesus? The question, I mean, do we really weep for those that don't know Jesus? Do we see people in our community and have contempt for them when they're in their sin? Or do we have compassion for them and see them as lost people who need Jesus, who need hope? 
Do we look at them and realize that the reason we're still here, the reason we're being transformed, the reason we're growing is so that we can take the message of the gospel. We can go and make disciples where we can teach people what it means to follow Jesus. And so I look at this and it just reminds me of one of the most famous verses in Scripture, John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That leads me to my, my second point this morning, and it's until we realize the depth of our sin, we cannot understand the magnitude of Christ's love for us. Are we the Pharisee or are we the broken woman? Jesus answered his thoughts, and Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't even offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I love this illustration that Jesus shares of people being forgiven of their loan. But sometimes we forget something in the illustration. Both people, the one with 500 pieces of silver that they owned and the one with 50, neither one of them deserved uh, their loan to be forgiven. Right? We look at it like, well, of course, the one with 500, they had a lot. But both of them needed forgiveness. Both of them had a debt they couldn't pay. And because of that, they both should be equally thankful, right? It's not like the righteous don't need Jesus. No, everyone needs Jesus because all of us are sinful. All of us have a debt that we couldn't pay. We have a sin debt that we owe that separates us from God. And it's only Jesus that can forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. And so often we do see, though, it's those who have been forgiven much who know how to love much. And so I, I want to just tell you, don't, don't fall into that trap. Don't feel like that if you've grown up in a church home, if you've been in church, if you think you're a good person, don't fall into that trap of thinking, I, I don't really need forgiveness. I don't really need the gospel. I don't really need Jesus. Because the reality is every single one of us needs that forgiveness from Jesus. And so we look at this woman. I mean, you think about she came to the house fully aware of who she was, her reputation, what was at stake. And Jesus saw her with compassion. And the the religious leaders of the day just looked down on her. And so what we see here, she sensed something about Jesus. 
She sensed that he was the Messiah, someone that could forgive her, someone that would look at her with compassion. And because of that, she could not stop crying. She could not stop worshiping. She could not stop uh, just thanking God for who he was. I love this picture. I love this story because what we see here is someone who realizes the depth of their sin and realized how much they need Jesus and how much do we need Jesus or do we think we've got everything kind of figured out on our own? I'm so thankful that God doesn't give up on us. I'm so thankful that God sees us even yet in our sin and still loves us. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Simon the Pharisee, he was blind to the woman. He was blind to his own sin. He was blind to who Jesus was. He just saw her past, but Jesus saw her future. I wonder how many people who have been rejected by the world have found salvation through the story of this woman because she is such an encouragement to us that Jesus truly cares. And that leads me to my final point. Because of Jesus... We are not defined by our past. Let's keep going in the story. Verse 47, I tell you her sins, and they are many. Jesus didn't downplay uh, the extent of her, her sinfulness. He didn't say, oh, it's not that bad. He's like, no, she's, she's got a lot of sin. She's done a lot of wrong things. But they've been forgiven. She, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? This is like the mic drop moment, right? Who, is, who does he think he is? He's like, I'm Jesus. I mean, he's like, haven't you been listening? I've been telling you all this time. And he, he, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you so you can go in peace. And yet they still didn't recognize who he was. And so I just kind of just mentioned something here. This woman was not saved because of her actions, because of what she did for Jesus, because of her love that she demonstrated. It, Jesus clearly says, your faith has saved you. So it's no different today. That's what saves us, our faith. But it's a faith that recognizes the depth of our sin that leads us to compassion, that leads us to worship, that leads us to service. And that's what we see right here in, in this story. Uh, the gospel is for everyone. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been reading the little devotions and the devotional books that we've handed out, the Word for You app, and uh, we'll put a link uh, uh, today as well. You can actually download an app and read these. If you don't have the book, you can download an app and read it. But this was from January 12th, so just a couple of days ago. And it said this. It said, just know that Jesus is calling you. He knows your past, but he is calling you anyway. He doesn't see you as you are, but as you will be when his grace has wrought a work in your life. Mary Magdalene may have been a prostitute before she met Jesus, but she became one of his closest disciples. Matthew, who wrote the first book of the New Testament, was the despised tax collector working for the Romans when he met Jesus. But Jesus doesn't examine your past in order to decide what he will do with your future. Saul of Tarsus, the murderer of Christians, became Paul the Apostle. 
author of half the New Testament. The good news is when Jesus saves you, you no longer have a past. You only have a future. You only have a future. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is there waiting for you. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's waiting to forgive you. And I'll just share, right? If you're in that position of a Pharisee saying, hey, I'm good. I don't need anything. You're just as sinful. You need Jesus just as much. I love Romans chapter 8. Incredible chapter in the Bible. Uh, and I want to kind of close with this. But it says, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, because you belong to him, right? The power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. We are no longer slaves to sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been forgiven. You are no longer defined by your past, but you now have a future with God for all of eternity. And if he has saved you, he has changed you, he has transformed you, he is calling you to do something about it, to use your life for the glory of God. So how are you serving him? How are you serving others? How are you putting your faith into action? Don't fall into the trap that the Christian life is just the bare minimum to, for what you have to do to get into heaven when you die. If that's your view of the gospel, you've missed the gospel. It's not just hap what happens to us after we're dead. It's how we live our life now in response to what God has done for us. And so I'm just going to challenge you today. As we get a fresh start to this new year, we've been talking about growth. We've been talking about transformation just coming to church, just doing the bare minimum, that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us into this new way of life, a life that mimics, that, that, that imitates the life of Jesus, that does what Jesus does. We talked last week about a living like Jesus and loving like Jesus, a life that actually shows compassion instead of contempt, a life that cares about those who don't know Jesus. So I want to invite you into that type of life. If you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity. If you do know him, I want to invite you into living and just responding to that and living that out day by day, moment by moment. As a church, we want to give you opportunities to do that. But right now, wherever you are, if you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity to put your faith and your trust in him. Your faith is what saves you. It's not how good you are. It's not how much good you've done in the past. In fact, you may, your sins may be many, but God is compassionate and he will hear your prayer. Would you pray with me? Our, our praise team is going to come back up and get ready to close us in prayer, but we're going to, we're going to just spend time with God right now. Would you, uh, I know this is weird online, but wherever you're at, just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the gospel. The gospel that shows us that no matter what we've done, that we can find forgiveness, that we can find peace, we can find grace, we can find mercy, 
through Jesus and through the cross. And so today, uh, my prayer is that as we worship, as we gather uh, virtually online today, my prayer is that we would be able to just examine our hearts, examine our lives, and, and ask ourselves, do we really know you? And if we do, are we living like it? And so if you're here listening today, watching online, if you're, if you're there and you say, I don't really know Jesus, while we're praying, this is your opportunity. Would you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? That just means you would be able to confess and say, hey, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Would you be able to confess that you are a sinner who needs saving? That you need to be forgiven of your sin? Would you believe that Jesus died for your sin? And not only that he died for your sin, but that he rose three days later and conquered death and the grave. And because of that, you have the promise of eternal life forever with him. That's the gospel message. And so today, I'm just so thankful that we can worship in a non-traditional way, but hear a very important message. And so wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whether we've got snow, ice, uh, this whole thing could be a bust and we could be sitting at home. And, but whatever it is, it, we're here to worship. We're here to examine our hearts. We're here to, to think about you and to focus about you. Would you just help us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have placed upon us? It's in the name of Jesus we pray today. Amen.